Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. avenues 
and didn't capture the imagination of the entire Star Trek fan base, that they took a step backwards. Even though they kept the series going, Discovery, and have a second season, and third season is going to, uh, well, has been projected. I don't know if they're working on it or not. But um, uh, the failings were deep because they didn't keep with what people love so much about Star Trek. And so bringing back Jean-Luc Picard in a, a quandary, and in a crisis of um, heart and soul, uh, that's intriguing for all Star Trek fans. And even for new Star Trek fans, you don't have to, the pilot did exactly what a pilot is supposed to do. It set up this mystery, and they set it up so well that it can be intriguing to the casual Star Trek watcher or even the brand new Star Trek watcher. So um, kudos for CBS for learning their lesson and moving on with a much better um, Star Trek timeline. And so, yeah, like Stephen said, there's going to be spoilers here. You can't really um, – can't really talk about the pilot without the spoilers so if you don't want to know anything about the plot please stop listening now until after you watch the show first thing i'd like to say is that the production value is top notch i mean same with discovery production value is top notch they just pour their money into the cinematography the special effects all of that you can't there's no complaints there what do you think steven yeah, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. The San Francisco part, the uh, France, of course, it's in France, and Picard Vineyards is beautiful. I mean, simply beautiful. You want to, um, you're, you're jealous. He wakes up in his bed, he opens up his curtains, and there's his, uh, his vineyards, and you're jealous like, wow, why can't I have that? I want to retire like that. But you can you can tell from the very beginning that Jean-Luc is um, not settled with his life. And so, uh, and so the story starts unfolding about there's this thing that he doesn't want to talk about. He's still a retired admiral, but he left Starfleet. So the mystery begins to build. And then uh, he's having dreams, dreams of... Uh, people he doesn't know, people he doesn't recognize, and dreams of data. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you understand that the last time that Picard saw data, data saved his life and died in the process. And so, and most of us hate Nemesis for that reason, the film Nemesis. And so, um, I mean, lots of people love it, but a good uh, half of people don't like it for that reason. And so, uh, and so it takes us back to that moment. It's just like the Spock moment. There was a big, big talk. Oh, isn't this like Wrath of Khan? Spock dies, Data dies, um, destroy our hearts. We love these characters and everything. And so in the Picard series, they do it right by taking us back to those moments that we love so much about Picard and Data. Did you feel that, Stephen? Yeah, 
And I have to ask you, how do you like that the Picard series really brings in the Abrams reboot into the official lore of Star Trek now? Well, here's the thing. I've never been an Abrams hater. And so, I mean, I hate, I love the first two seasons of Lost. Let's go all the way back. I love the first two seasons of Lost. And then Abrams brought in Lidenoff, of which I have no respect for him until recently with The Watchmen. He's ruined everything that I've ever loved, alien, um, science fiction films that he's written for. Um, And so Abrams has always a really good idea. And so when he started with Star Trek, he got the perfect cast, the perfect younger actors to play our favorites and put them together with a a decent enough movie. I don't know why people hate it so much, but it is different. It's a different timeline. And so uh, people don't like it so much, but this has been my argument since the very, very beginning 2009 look star trek and all us old people we're getting old i mean look at picard he can't run up the stairs right in the i'm spoiler he can't run up the stairs and with dosh and he's he's like um winded and he has a hard time thinking and 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 getting his his thoughts out like I am right now, and he um, and this is the progression of all human beings. Uh, Gene Roddenberry is dead, and lots of our Star Trek actors and producers and musical um, music writers all. So Star Trek is old, and if we want Star Trek to live on, we have to infuse it with new ideas to keep the young people um, interested. So I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they did it. Do you want to release some uh, spoilers? (laughs) Yeah. And the destruction of the Romulan planet is the nicest progression because uh, Kirk's usefulness in Starfleet ended when... Peace happened because of the Klingon planet dying and they're needing our help. And right. because of incidents right. in the Picard series, war started. And Picard, who was a peacetime captain, was useless to them. Right. Well, so they thought, actually, you know. Of course, that's what they thought. And so, uh, well, you have a smug writer doing the interview with him like he's some kind of outdated, uh, right? Relic right. from the past. But that's, some, that's uh, I like that reflection of the way things are today because the young people, Gen Z or whatever they're called now, Gen Z and the, the younger millennials, uh, they find such distaste with the older generations that they want to relearn everything on their own. And you know what? That leads to bad things if you do not build upon the past. And so I liked Picard's disdain for that woman. And the more she dug, his eyes 
they gleamed with distaste, and then he just he let her have it because um, a disregard for the past or reworking facts to make them sound more dramatic or prove a point that isn't really um, relevant is exactly what's happening today. So they were bringing a lot of uh, today's problems into that interview. I loved it. I loved that. Um, And so, again, kudos to the writers and um, Kurtzman, who's the producer, that they, they thought more deeply about this story to engage all, all ages of Star Trek fans. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. So moving on, um, were you at all surprised with the tie-in of um, Data's story? No, I'm intrigued about where they're going with the synthetic angle. Yeah, so am I. I like the whole synthetic thing because they led us to believe all these 10 months or so that it was going to be all about Borg, right? And and the very last scene, of course, is of a Borg cube being created. But to see that that girl is not a Borg, spoilers, spoilers, is not a Borg, she's a synthetic, and also to understand that synthetics destroyed, spoilers, spoilers, Mars, for what reason? You know, there's another big mystery they've set up. Why did the synthetic destroy Mars? So, you know, um, it's it, it had a lot of surprises in it that were good surprises. Good surprises. And Starfleet represents our isolationist ways in the United States today. Yes. Yes. So that's another really pertinent tie-in to the problems that we are having today. I think it, it crosses all boards because um, I'm, I'm very unhappy with uh, the progression of education in my uh, at my job and in the nation altogether, and so with Picard saying I I left Starfleet because and this isn't a spoiler it was in the trailers I left um, Starfleet because it wasn't Starfleet any longer I feel that and as he said it because because Patrick Stewart is such a great actor as he said it those emotions just resonated within me and and I'm just I'm hooked I'm totally hooked by it yeah and then okay let's let's um jump to the one thing that this is what this is this is the one thing that was never in the next generation but they brought in from Star Trek Enterprise and that is the dog angle. Okay, what do you think about the dog? He's a better number one than Jonathan Frakes was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's really wonderful that the dog angle is brought in 
because, like, I was watching um, uh, the series Mars on Netflix. It's a National Geographic um, half real facts, real interviews, real thing, and and a projection to 2033 and 2047, something like that, when we get to Mars and live there. And the second group of humans that go to Mars bring a dog. And everyone is so happy. And so the dog symbolizes something that was kind of left out of Star Trek throughout all the seasons until Enterprise. Because living in a in a spaceship in a vacuum of space, that's the most unnatural thing there is for human beings. And yes, taking animals to space is pretty unnatural. But trying to bring that with you is kind of a human thing. Yeah. So I like that part. I like it. Well, I like it a lot. Well, the to it is tribbles. Yeah. Yeah. Look at how people um, latched on to tribbles. I mean, you know, there were tribble toys in the 70s, and um, you can find Tribble toys now. All you have to do is go online, Google Tribble, Tribble toy, and you can buy yourself one. And so, yeah, I'm you're right. I'm just talking about the episode itself. Right. No, 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 you're right. You're right. That that showed something about humanity, the fan base, Star Trek um, stories and everything, that we kind of left out is that the nature part, the real nature part, um, like when we go to space, you don't, you can't take pets. It's really hard. You have to have a really super wonderful spaceship, not like the, the space station, not like what we can accomplish right now. You have to have advanced technology to bring your pets along. So I like oh yeah what what am I thinking somebody out there already said it and I apologize Data had a cat yeah. Data always trying to be the most human of all uh, characters had a cat I'm sorry I apologize everyone <laughs> but okay let's just yeah what about that tie with Data what about bringing this I guess synthetic creature to life. What's that all about? Oh, you mean uh, the thing that Picard visits? No, I'm no, no, I'm talking about the girl herself. Oh. The, I don't know about yeah, her I'm, yet. They've already made her a uh, twin with a Romulan, so that goes back to uh, Commander Troy. Denise Crosby's character. Oh, yeah. Yes. And not only that, um, um, oh, that was um, Lieutenant um, Tasha Yar. Yeah, Tasha Yar. Yeah, and that does, you're right about that. And then also, um, oh, it just flew out of my head. What I was thinking is that there's this idea about we're coming closer and closer to um, a sentient AI. I mean, it's not going to happen tomorrow or next week, maybe not even this decade, even though there are some people that want it by 2025. Um, 
So that's five years. Um, there's a huge philosophical and ethical debate about sentient robots, sentient AI, androids, whatever you want to call them. Are we creating them to be slaves? Are we creating them to be helpers? What are, why are we creating them? And so to find that Starfleet, which I think this is going to um, connect to Section 31, that sounds like it's going to be another Star Trek um, series in the next couple of years, and that's a, an offshoot from Discovery. Um, Starfleet is doing things, and this was started in the uh, in Into Darkness, the Abrams timeline. Starfleet does things uh, under 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 the knowledge of everyone else. Yeah. In the name of keeping the peace, or in the name of being strong, um, and so these synthetic creations. Once they're illegal, they can, this part of Starfleet continues to create synthetics. So, yeah, the, there's another mystery. Yeah, there's so many mysteries. There's so many great mysteries in this episode. Yeah, exactly. Which and yes, is completely this episode different. is very exposition-heavy, but... This is the one where they set everything up and hit the ground running at the same time, which is a pretty damn impressive feat. Yeah, I agree with that. They hit the ground running. Exposition is not bad. It's um, There's a new show called Witcher on Netflix, which goes comes from the book series and the video game. And the first two episodes, and they're long, they're hour-long episodes, which is fantastic, are mostly exhibition, uh, exhibition, ex, um, laying the foundation for the story. And yes, so there are people out there. So you females can see Henley Cavill without a shirt. Oh, God. And I will <laughs> never complain about that ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I, I, I. We, I can't get um, sidetracked here. Um, Witcher, when, by the end of the series, you don't want it to end. Everyone I know who has watched the show loves it, if they watched it to the end. If they stopped at episode two, they'll tell you it's too boring because some people just can't get through the foundation, the laying of the foundation. They need action they need explosions and that's a symptom of our 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 connected society too much internet too much um um not not enough ability to focus on something so that's a symptom of of kind of a psychosis that our our humanity is going through right now but i didn't find Picard boring at for one minute, not one second. Not one second did I go, oh, God, when's the action going to start? In fact, as the action was happening and those guys are trailing, uh, is her name Dosh? 
as they're trailing her, you know, um, tracking her, and she's fighting, and there's all this um, incredible um, choreography, uh, I found myself going, come on, let's get back to the story. Because I'm really sick and tired of action, and I just want story. Let's get back to the story. Where is this leading us? Were you surprised so what an... happened to her in the first episode? Oh, yeah, I was really shocked. But then they had to set up the thing about the twins. They can't be created yeah. without creating twins. And so that kind of goes back to how Data and Lore were created. Because um, Daystrom created Lore and saw his mistake and, and just almost instantly created Data also. You know, Data and Lore were brothers, but they were more like two opposite ends of twins. Well, don't forget about and then the new Data that was at the end of Endemesis, too. Yeah, well, they put him... They they he also showed up in this pilot. Yeah. Just to give some solid tie in to the last um film, the last next generation film, Nemesis, and that timeline. So all the timelines are being connected together in this show to move forward. And so I'm hoping, I know this hasn't happened, and I know that she hasn't been um, written into the story, but I've been hoping that um, Catherine Janeway would come back because she had the, the most contact with the Borg as a human being. Um, well, Jerry Ryan, of course, seven, but she was taken as a child and raised as Borg. Whereas Captain Janeway was a captain of Starfleet and was uh, in the Delta Quadrant, so intermixed with the Borg and getting back to Earth, her her, um, ship and crew, there's so much um, story there that could be mined to bring into the Picard series since they're going with Jerry Ryan and the um, – and by the way, if you're looking for Jerry Ryan, she didn't show up in this uh, episode. So keep your pants on, everyone. She will show up next time. <laughs> and don't forget, who's coming back for the second season of Picard? Um, my brain just went blank. Who is going to be in the second season? Whoopi Goldberg's character. Oh, that's right. God, I po- I posted it on my Facebook. That's right. I think it's wonderful because generations. We were talking about this yesterday at work um, because Star Trek happens to be iconic for all of us, us older people and people who are in their their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. Um. Star Trek is a big, big deal. So we were talking about it, which is your favorite movie, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, I like Generations the best because Kirk is there, Picard is there. I like the idea of the Nexus rhythm, um, ribbon, the the regrets, trying to fix those regrets, all these different um, ideas coming through 
that movie and Whoopi Goldberg and her race. And so bringing Whoopi and her race of people who were completely wiped out by the Borg into the second season of Picard makes me have hope that this story is actually going to be profound and expansive. That's what I'm hoping. In a way, I could see that used Borg cube being like uh, Starfleet's version of Gitmo. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, Will they keep their undesirables? Yeah, but hey, you know, I don't know. I'm not making any guesses about that Borg cube. I'm just not yet. Because it wasn't finished for one thing. So you know how unfinished things can go awry. So Well, I, it could be um, the one at the end of, uh, what is it, First Contact? Uh-huh. That was uh, destroyed in a space. Right in the um, in the go the the like wormhole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a that was a going back in time like wormhole. Yeah, you. I don't know. Um, it looked like a board oh, cube, but it looked yeah. different. Yeah, it's already set up in Picard that. The Romulans are not wanted on Starfleet planets. Right. Right. So here we go with the racism thing, which, at first, you know, when Star Trek first started, it was one of the things that Gene Roddenberry, his, his point of this was that we would finally progress to a point where we don't war with each other and we uh, accept each other. For who and what we are and not look at uh, race, skin color, hair color, uh, gender, none of that stuff. That was one of the points of Star Trek. And um, when you just throw in a bunch of different colored skin people and a bunch of different alien races and having them all work together, that only shows one aspect of a, of a future culture. Look at, they're all working together. So I like the Romulan thing because they're just as smart as Vulcans, right? And Vulcans and, and, and Romulans don't even get to, they don't even like each other. And they, um, they're, the, they're cousins. So the whole racial prejudice thing is going to be woven throughout the story, I hope. I hope. Well, that is the ultimate tragedy of Starfleet. When the Klingon planet was destroyed, they did the right thing and absorbed uh, the Klingon race into the Starfleet culture and our culture. Right, right. But when the same exact thing happened to the Romulans, we rejected it. So how, and I hope they get into it, did Star Trek end up... Devolving instead of evolving. Right, the devol because of prejudice, I think, and I'll bet it it will. Well, this is what my 
if I was a betting person, which I'm not, um, I take risks, but I don't like to bet my money. So anyway, um, I think that it's got it's going to have to do with the Vulcans because the Vulcans have ever, always been a very arrogant race. Just think about Spock's story. Spock's whole story is about how the Vulcans would not accept him because his mother was human. And so Spock had all this emotion to to get over and hide, put on a shelf, put in a closet, whatever you want to call it. And he turned into the person he, he was because of all of this, because of Vulcan prejudice and Vulcans in um, first contact. Think about it. Um, Vulcans were going to just overlook humanity because humanity is so uh, violent and won't use their uh, intellect in a peaceful way. And yet, uh, and so there's all of this, all of the movies, all of this stuff put together in this one little pilot story. And that's why everyone's talking about it. And we actually get to see Jean-Luc Picard speak French. Yes, Yes, we do. (laughs) Yes, and I'm telling you, his bedroom is just gorgeous. (laughs) His whole house is. His whole place is just gorgeous. But it's also reminiscent of of generations because his um, brother... And his nephew were killed in a fire on that property. And when we see him, he has no family. Like he's not, he's not supposed to have family and he has no family. And he's lonely. And he has this gorgeous dog. <laughs> and so it, it just takes every aspect of the next generation movies and, and wraps it into, threads it through this new this new idea of Picard. And I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. That's why I signed up for all access, and I wasn't going to. And um, and so I'm hoping, because I own Discovery on DVD. Yeah. And I binge-watch Discovery because I really can't, I can't take it one episode at a time. I don't like the lead character. I just don't like her at all. I can't. I keep trying to get over her, but I just don't like that character. And I don't like Discovery as much. But I do. There are other characters in Discovery I like. There are other things in Discovery I like. And the Captain Pike character is fantastic. I wish they would have a, a limited series Captain Pike. That would be awesome. Yeah. But, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see about that kind of thing. And so, um is there anything that we haven't really covered yet? I really No, so basically Picard is just a great start off. Hopefully they don't fumble the ball. Right, right. But since it's, it's only really... ten episodes I don't see how they could truly well, screw it up. Well they could. They could. Discovery was pretty messed up for ten episodes, and they they made it better, way better, 
the second season. And so, I mean, I, I, I didn't like the first season so much that after I had bought the DVDs, I was content to wait a year and a half before I saw season two because I just didn't like it. And so I binge-watched season two over the Christmas holiday, and or maybe it was Thanksgiving, and uh, I found that I, I liked it better. I liked because the Star Trek um, universe was more involved in it. Yeah, and before we get into Watchmen, I have to ask you, what do you think of the new insignia of our idiot in charges space force? <laughs> do you think I, that Roddenberry's estate should sue over that for copyright infringement? You know, maybe they should. Maybe they should. I don't think they'll win. Um, but then again, CBS, give me a break. CBS um, sued the creators, producers, everyone involved in Axanar. CBS sued and won. So I don't see why they don't sue, um, I don't know, whatever, Space Force, whatever, for copyright infringement. I don't see why not. If we can't use the likeness of the insignia in what we're doing, then how come Trump gets to? Well, you, post, you know, that's a double standard. Yeah. Did you post that on your wall about that? No, I did not. Well, I can't no, tell the I don't difference wanna... between the patches. I had to look uh, close to see which was which. There's a, they're very, very, very similar. Very similar. I mean, I really think it is copyright infringement, but that's for greater minds than mine and lawyers and that kind of thing. But if Axonar is copyright infringement, then so is Space Force's new logo. And they better rethink that. Space Force's logo just reminds me of a 12-year-old Star Trek fan creating their own Space Force using Star Trek toys and Star Trek patches they bought out of the back of uh, Famous Monsters or Starlog magazine back in the day. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's sad. Um, as Chris would say, sad, sad. Um, it's it's just sad the lengths that these people are going to to try to get votes. I don't know. I, I don't want to make this I political any more political. I thought they would be a day where they would have a space force that Vicky would be disapproving of, but... <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, well, Space space Force is mostly Air Force, too, and I always envisioned Starfleet, uh, the envision, the vision was always Navy. And so I don't see, I don't see why uh, Air Force and Navy can't come together to be in space, but the only vehicles that we have right now that, that are like spaceships are submarines. So I'm not even understanding why Space Force is Air Force other than the people who are in charge just are just stupid people. 
They don't understand. Well, look at Star Trek. How many uh, <laughs> nautical references are there? Right. They're, like they're, all the battles. That's how they, okay, they well, navigate that way. Yeah. Well, and all the battles on uh, in Star Trek Two are based on great sea battles. Right. Right. And a captain and her ship and all this, all of this, it all goes back to the Navy. And Picard, what is Picard always when he, when he's longing to be out in an adventure, not detective novels. I'm talking yeah. about always wanting to be, go back to the Star Trek generations. And it opens yeah. up out on a tall ship out on the ocean. Yeah, the... That's Navy. <laughs> yeah, that's their, uh, what is it, their hazing ritual for new members? Right, right, right. I, I love that scene. That Data has the best... That that whole scene is, is brilliant. 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 And so, so, yeah, Space Force, I'm really disappointed. Super disappointed. And we can leave it at that for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so um, if you're thinking about watching Picard, I'd say go to Amazon Prime and spend $3. Or if you want, at, um, CBS Access, All Access, is only like 6 or $7 a month. And uh, then you could see Discovery also. And then... They, you get the whole um, archive of, I don't know, 30, 35 different CBS TV shows, because I went through the archive last night. Or you can just go spend $9 a month on Amazon Prime, and you will get Philip K. Dick's uh, anthology Right. Series. You'll get The Man a- in a High Castle. What else will you get yeah. on the Amazon Prime that's worth watching sci-fi, Vicky? Oh, man, um there the whole Outer Limits, um the the 1962 seasons or you know, um yeah, first season, second season and then from 1995 until 2005 or so, all of the Outer Limits episodes are on Amazon Prime. Uh, I, Stargate is on Amazon Prime, um, Babylon 5 is on Amazon Prime. I mean, if you're a science fiction fan like I am, Amazon Prime is the way to go. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would I would definitely just say, hey, do that. And so, yeah, and, and so now, um, you know, keeping kind of in the rhythm of the sci-fi, I... We were talking before the show started, Stephen and I, about the Watchmen series on HBO, which is another J.J. Abrams um, protege, um, Damon Lidenoff, whom I have zero respect for until this series, until this series. Um, uh, And so it kind of ties right in. Uh, Watchmen was uh, funded by HBO, Production is top-notch, and the blew my socks off how well it is written and the story. 
Stephen? Yeah, this is a direct sequel to the comic book series from the 80s and Alan Moore and the movie adaption. Right, of which I I think I'm the only person out in the universe that likes the movie. I love the movie. Screw you people. I love the movie. But and uh, I've been a fan of the Watchmen since and I have the graphic novel since way back. I still love the movie. You're talking about someone that has the ultimate edition uh DVD set where I swapped out the digital copy with a copy of the director's cut Blu-ray and the theatrical cut DVD. Yeah, see, it's not that bad. <laughs> no. It's actually a great adaption of it, but it's too slow. Even back then, it was too slow-paced for most people. Yeah, true. True. But yeah, and people brought their place, children. Think, yeah. Oh, God, no, it's hard R. It's yeah, it is, theory. but I had children in my row. In my row at the theater, I was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this yeah, takes so, place, I think, a decade after the movie movie in the first comic book, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain they set it up. They say something like that because um, Lori, it's more than a decade. It's 15 years, I think. I think it's yeah. 15 years. Somebody says something like, well, Lori, it's been 15 years since, you know, the blue man has been gone, something like that. They say something yeah. like that. And so it's 15 years um, in the future from from the movie and the book script, actually. The, I mean script from the graphic novel. And I love the way it's set up. Because there's a mystery, you can, you can, um, I mean, all the, the whole society of Watchmen, the way in which that, that, that society is, just like Gotham City or, or any of the other comic book cities, the, the world is set up in that mythological type earth and so that's they they just play it straight though they play it serious and they play it straight and it's geez it's so good it's good drama and it's set after Rorschach's book did get published they left that as a gray area at the end of it and the fact that no one believed right Except right. for this extremist group, which becomes like the KKK. Right. And so, just like original Watchmen, it is more a a parallel to our society than, you know, action hero. It's anti-action hero, actually, which yeah. is why I love it so much. And this one deals with race a lot more than the first one did. Right. Right. But that's that's um, that's that, that's a good thing go because it the first one did. Um, it has race, but the racism is so 
subtle. In the graphic novel, the racism is subtle. So other issues could um, rise to the top. But that not with this one. This is really to do with racism, prejudices, um, people's feelings about the differences of people. And this is another quick in and out ten episode series where there is no fat in it. Yeah, I agree. And isn't Jeremy Irons perfect casting for Ozymandias? <laughs> I was, I, you know, I love it that they don't reveal it, right? Because at yeah. first you're like, is he? Is he Ozymandias? Is that what they're saying here? You know, you have that, that, that in your brain going over and over. In the first two scenes you see him in, and then you just start smiling and smiling because he does it so bloody well. So well. And And so, actually, I don't want to do many spoilers for this because people can still watch it. I I suggest you guys take um, ten hours of your life, your binging life, and watch Watchmen. Because yeah. you will love it. It's a better sequel than the comic sequel, which came out last year to Doomsday Clock was. I did not see that. I have to admit, it's I did not, not see that, that. It's not that good. Just stay with the one that you love, because it's the, it's the sequel that fits the first comic, not... No. Oh, um. Well, I what I liked about this um, this new one was the casting was perfect. I think Regina uh, King was uh, perfect casting, absolutely, and Tim Blake uh, Nelson, perfect casting also. Louis Gossett Jr. Huh, I just I think the entire cast was perfect. Don Johnson. Uh, Jean Smart as Lori that's brilliant especially if you watched Legion if you watch the two seasons of Legion especially that first season of Legion and then Jean Smart comes on over to Watchmen oh my gosh you're just like this is brilliant casting the cast is just I loved it loved it loved it and you won't be wasting your time because pretty much HBO in the show's head has said, this is it. It's a one-season, one-trick pony, and I'm happy with that. So am I. So happy with it. It, doesn't, it does not need a second season. Just like the graphic novel didn't need anything more. It. Why can't things be just themselves? Why does there always have to be a second season, a third season, a fourth season? I don't why know. can't it be like a novel? Yeah. And then, like, um, 
uh, here, I really loved the first season of Westworld. And then where they took it for the second season, they could have ended Westworld the first season as a limited series, but they didn't. They, they planned on doing a second season, but in the middle of that second season, they really started wandering around trying to please the audience, trying to please certain producers and kind of lost their way. And so the third season is coming in uh, March, March 15th, which is uh, Hail Caesar Day, the Ides of March, March 15th of this year. And it's going to be set in the future, not right after season two, meaning that usually when they do something like that and they've waited over a year to bring it to us, they had to rework the story and try to get their focus back to what made the first season good. But that's, that's that idea of stretching because we want the audience, we want more money, we want more kudos, whatever. They could have ended it in season two if they had kept the story tight and focused. Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones. I mean... Game of Thrones could have gone nine or ten seasons if they would have done it correctly, or it could have ended at season seven. I think they got too lost in their um, political intrigue and... um, and they got a little too high on themselves and, and the their fact production. That no matter what he says, he don't have an ending for it. Who? Oh, you know that 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 reminds me of. Um, there's a new uh, show on Netflix called Night Flyers, and it's a George R. R. Martin story. It's actually a yeah. short story, ten episodes, and it was. In the 10 episodes, things are so slow. What they did in 10 episodes, if they would have cut out the fat, as you called it, they could have done it in seven episodes and given us two more episodes of story. But they did not. And the worst so thing it's you not, can have in a tightly episodic series is a filler episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. The like, Stephen that was King the problem se- with the uh, next generation season what? one. There was a hell of a lot of filler episodes. Well the thing is with that was that they were looking backwards instead of forwards. They were looking back at the most popular 1965-66 episodes, 67, of Star Trek, the original series. And then just trying to rework those stories into the next generation. And those stories are the most boring. And those are the, those are the stories that seem like just complete filler. <clears throat> and so once you realize that you have to take that the idea and move it forward 
into a new future, then um, then you have something. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like Star Trek Enterprise. Most people didn't like it for two reasons. One of the two reasons. Because it seemed to rewrite a little bit of Star Trek canon. And they didn't like that Enterprise went out and found new species that were never in uh, uh, the original series or even in Next Generation as the future series, okay? So um, when they introduced new, new ideas like time travel and new ideas like um, uh, different species that were never in the old series or the new series, then people were upset by that and, and stopped watching. And Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, makes the same stupid mistake. They set it in the past, and then they have Klingons that don't look like Klingons, and they try to explain that away. And uh, they have all these different timeline issues that they can't fix. So why do that? If you're going to spend millions upon millions of dollars, that's another reason why Watchmen is good. Beloved canon characters and turn them into emo, backwoods, incestuous, wannabe sister humpers. (laughs) And I wish I was overstating it for a joke theory. Uh, yeah, well. There's some stuff I wish I was overstating. (laughs) Right. Well, I do not, do not like the Spock character in Discovery. I can live with the Sarek character, and I can definitely live with um, Spock's mother's character. She is the same, the same caring human person she was in the old series. But the Spock character, I just, I, I don't know. I, I did not warm up to him. I don't like him. I don't feel that he's the Spock that um, was introduced in the pilot series, nor the rest of the original story or the original series, and it's hard for me. Discovery is hard for me. The original pilot episode, Spock is a very happy person. Right. He's enjoying the exploring and seeing all the new. Right. I like that. Keep him as the same logical person, but... Let him enjoy being away from his society that is keeping him oppressed, you know. Right. And so I you know, this whole this this Spock angst thing, I do understand it and I do um know why people want to take do a backstory on Spock and and his feelings 
But they did that in the Abrams movie, and I thought they did it quite well. Yeah, so I mean, let's just move on. Being angsty because you want to love your sister, and being angsty and angry because your whole damn planet was blown up. Right. <laughs> there's a big difference. Um, there's a huge difference, and then just introducing the sister thing. People didn't like the the Star Trek movie where Spock has a brother that, that no one's ever heard of, and then they go out to try to find God. No one likes that movie. Um, it's usually on the well, bottom of, of the... Yeah. Well, that's because that idiot brings his religion into things that don't need his religion. Right. But, um, yeah, because yeah, it's not a religious movie. Anyway, um, uh People didn't like that. And now we have Spock. Now we have another complete different timeline of Spock has a sister, an older sister now, an adopted sister, an orphan. And and Sarek really loves her and blah, 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 blah. And I don't understand why they thought this would be smart. Why didn't they just take Star Trek Discovery, put it in um, the future, not the far, far future, or even the next generation era, and have discovery out there being a discovery, you know, like its its mission is to discover things. It's supposed to be a science ship, and discover this new type of warp drive, which is that that amoeba thing or whatever the hell it is, and uh, uh, take it from there and have these new characters. and have the intrigue of maybe a parallel universe and a parallel captain who comes over and and kills the other captain or whatever happens in that first season. Why couldn't it just be a series on its own? Why did it have to be in the past and mess with Spock and mess with Kirk and mess with Pike and mess with all of that? Why? It's just stupid. Well, if you remember, that was always one of... uh... Roddenberry's intentions was to do a Pike series. Yeah. So, but they finally came upon a way to make a Pike series, and that is, uh, they found the right guy. Anson Mont was just a perfect Captain Pike, and they they stumbled upon it because they needed to make Discovery better. So why couldn't they have just started with that? And because, they were tr- because they were pandering to woke culture. We need more female heroes for the sake that they're just female. Right. Right, because I, that character, she, she gets up upon her soapbox. This is what I don't like about that character. She's always talking about what's right. She's the, she's the she's second in line to uh, an ego and narcissism like Trump, because everything she thinks and does and acts is the best. She's doing it for Starfleet. She's doing it for humanity. She's doing it for and it's just it's the hero syndrome, and she she just and then she's always lecturing to everyone. And it's just boring, and I really can't get behind it. 
And so if that's what the woke culture is, um, you know, they need to step aside and, and, you know, mature a little bit because that's not what it's about. That's not what life's about. All I needed in Aliens was the scene where Ripley loaded a freaking missile into a ship. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They just had her load the missile into the ship, and then all the Marines are like, yeah, I like this girl. <laughs> and Janeway yeah. and Enterprise, did they need to show that she was a strong female? No. Because she was already captain. Right. But did, and not only that, she was written in a way where she didn't have to prove anything. She was thrown into situations where that whole personality that made her a captain had to come out. And so we got to see it in this story or that story, but it was already yeah. there. What we're seeing in, in Discovery is that the main character is loyal and logical and reasonable and all this stuff. And then in a moment of what blacked out psychotic actions destroys a Klingon and totally freaks out, becomes a traitor to the Federation and gets everyone into a war. Huh? Really? How did that happen? What kind of story is that? And who bought that hook, line, and sinker? I'd like to talk to them because I've got stories to to sell too. <laughs> yeah. And did Uhura have to prove that she knew her job? No. No. <laughs> she just did her job. Yeah. And everyone accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I'm just hoping that throwing discovery into the future where it belonged in the first place because you know uh, there are some characters I really like on that show there's some good things that every bad story has its good point and so I really love you know you don't have to um, grow to like the engineer, I forget her name. She's got the red hair. She's just not as as skinny and well-built as all the other actresses, right? She's gorgeous. But she, she, she does her job. You watch her story, and you accept her for who she is and through her struggles. That's, I love that character. Well, name really, one engineer really, in Star Trek who is buffing in shape. Oh, Bolana Torres, buff and in shape, kick-ass Klingon. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. You got Scotty, never was in shape. Right. You got Scotty from the reboot, he never was, <laughs> you know. Right, right. The engineer for Next Generation, he was just an average guy, you know, average. Right, because usually engineers are quiet doing their engineering thing, saving the day. Yeah. And so so there are there are characters in Discovery I do like. It's just I and I like um uh, Michelle Michelle Yeoh and her um her T 
two different captains, the one that died and the one from the parallel universe. I I like it because she's always so badass. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh. Um, she's badass. She she says she doesn't have a heart, but she she loves the main character Michael, and uh, she she can't hide that fact. And so she's a good character. I hate the guy who is Klingon who they turned into a human. I despise that character as much as I despise his lover. The the um, the main character, Michael. Now his Klingon lover, I like her. She's an interesting character. But that that Klingon that was turned into a human, I don't like him one bit. And Nothing about him makes me want to watch him. And if you sucks. only first started watching Michelle Yeoh through uh, modern Star Trek, go back to her 90s kung fu films. You won't be disappointed. Right. She's she's an actress all on her own. Star Trek's just her latest um, thing to conquer. That's all. Yeah. And she just whoops ass back then. Oh, she can whoop ass now. Even though there's stunt doubles and everything, she can do it now. It's really, really great. And so, let's see, we've been over an hour now, and so yeah. is there anything else that you wish to say today? No. Well, this is that, that, and hopefully we'll be back once a week to talk about some, each of the new Picard episodes as it goes. Right. That would... Um, that would be it. Might not be on Saturday because I have these conventions I'm going to have to go to here yeah. in a couple of weeks, and so I'll be out of town a lot in February. But yeah. it, it might happen on a Wednesday. It might happen on a whatever day. But yeah. we'll try to to log one in once a week. And they won't be, and they'll be short ones like this. They won't be long episodes like normal. Right. We just talked about these other shows because they have so much to do with um, modern uh, modern science fiction and the taking of something from old and trying to bring it into the new uh, Watchmen, um, Westworld. These things are old and they're, they're reworking them for new audience and Picard isn't a rework, but it is taking a beloved old character and bringing him into the new new eyes, new audiences. So I hope you all enjoyed what we had to say today, and I look forward to talking about Picard Episode 2. Thank and you. And so, Stephen, and we're going to have some, some uh, ending music for you guys, okay? Okay. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.
That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.